A counterculture can't just be a set of different beliefs that we try to drum into our children by sending them to Christian programs, but a community of relationships where our children and spouses can actually experience the person of Jesus in a variety of people that resemble him in different ways. Jesus said this, or or rather, uh, yes, uh, the writer John wrote this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. So if I'm a child of God, you love God, you love me, right? And same in the reverse. I want to go over to um, Psalm chapter 1, 101, Psalms 101, verse 1. And I'm going to read it from the Living Bible, because I like the way... Uh, in fact, the Living Bible is very interesting. You probably uh, aren't very much aware of the Living Bible anymore. It's kind of out of fashion. But it was written... It's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. In fact, I'm going to include a couple of sentences from the new NIV, the New International Version, because the New International Version is an actual, actual translation. So I, w- I want you to assure you we're not changing the meaning, because you can change the meaning in a paraphrase. Paraphrases sometimes... Are, in, are technically incorrect. Like the Message Bible sometimes is technically incorrect in, in, in the, way they, the way he interprets the text. But it's okay. It's just like he's a guy talking about what he sees when he reads the Scripture. And so uh, Ken Taylor was this guy who wanted to read the Bible to his children, but he would get out the King James Version and the language would just go over their heads. So he actually wrote, he was the first one that I'm aware of who wrote a paraphrase, and he wrote it to read to his children. And um, uh, this is his paraphrase of Psalms 101, verse 1 through 8. Like I said, I'm going to throw in a couple of NIV sentences just so you'll make make sure you know I'm not teaching false doctrine. I will sing about your loving kindness and your justice, Lord. I will sing your praises. I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. How many of you long to act as you should in your own home? (laughs) Uh, Help me to refuse the low and vulgar things. Help me to abhor all crooked deals of every kind, to have no part in them. Here's what the NIV says there. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. Now verse 4, I will reject all selfishness and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate anyone who secretly slanders his neighbors. We're not going to gossip and talk trash in my house. I will not permit conceit and pride. I will make the godly of the land. And here's what I really want you to focus on for this sermon today. I will make the godly of the land my heroes and invite them to my home. Now here's what the NIV says. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell, in with, that they may dwell with me. Only those who are truly good shall be my servants. But I will not allow those who deceive and lie to stay in my house. My daily task will be to ferret out criminals and free the city of God from their grip. I think that's an amazing, isn't that an amazing passage? And uh, perhaps you haven't seen it before, but I hope it'll become a part of your repertoire of scriptures that you know about and that you can refer to. Now, I'm going to organize this sermon a little bit different today. I'm not having point one, two, three, but rather uh, just 
just a, a general idea of where I want to go in each part of the talk today, if you want to call it a talk. First of all, we have a crisis on our hands, a crisis of time. I call it a crisis of time and influence. We have a crisis of time and influence in our families. A clear fact of life, one that's affirmed in many places in Scripture, is that we don't have the prerogative of solving all of life's problems. You don't have the prerogative of solving all of life's problems. Sometimes Christians, we're always looking for that way to solve every problem. Romans 8.20, though, says the creation was subjected to frustrations. How many of you had any frustration this week? Some frustration this week? Then you're in the will of God. Because the Bible says he would, that God chose to subject the, the creation to frustrations. So you're going to have frustrations raising kids. You're going to have frustrations staying married. You're going to have frustrations. We can't solve all our problems, but we can manage them. That's a, that's a shift in view that some of you need to make today because you're trying to solve all your problems. You're trying to have some type of utopia, but it doesn't exist. In this, it, it, we're, we're waiting on Jesus for that. We're waiting on the second coming of Christ for that. We cannot solve all our problems, but we can manage them. So, parents, uh, uh, you know, um, we, we, have, um, we have this issue. Um, you know, think about it. For seven, eight hours a day, it's very likely that your kids are in a place where they are hearing things you don't want them to hear and you don't agree with and being told things you don't, you don't agree with and you don't want them to hear. And then after that, uh, because m m most households today, both parents are working, so even after that, they're, uh, they're with peers and on screens. So they're with the peers and on screens, let's say that's eight hours, let's say for the next four to five hours, they're with, they're with, they're with peers and screens. And uh, then, uh, according to Anne, uh, I believe her name is uh, Anne Fisher, Anna Fisher, who, who's a, a professor at Harvard, and she's actually a psychologist at Mass General Hospital, and she's done, a, she's done a project called Family Dinners. She's trying to get families to start having dinner again. But she says that only 30% of American families have dinner together regularly. So let's say that you're, you're, the, you're the 70%, and if you're the 70% in this room, maybe it's 50% in this room, so you're not having dinner together. So you've got... 12, 14, 15 hours that your kids are in the world seeing and hearing things that you don't agree with, that you don't believe, and that you would rather they not hear or see, and you get 20 minutes right before they go to bed. It's like the world has a megaphone and you have a muzzle. You are up against a huge deficit in, in, in time a huge deficit in influence with your children. And even if your children go to a Christian school, they're still growing up in the culture and in the world. And we don't, be, we don't want to get all crazy and negative about the world and the culture. Like I told you last Sunday, there's some good things in the world that we can enjoy. So we can't solve all this problem, but we can manage it. Now I want to talk to you about turning this crisis into a challenge. God has given us tools. 
So let's gird up our loins. I always say what Jason said to me when I was recovering from cancer. Dad, hard things are supposed to be hard. So, <laughs> so I'm telling you, this is hard, but hard things are supposed to be hard. Let's gird up our loins and face the challenge. Because the Bible says, where sin has increased, Romans 8.20, Romans 5.20 rather, Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Right? So I'm not trying to talk about, when I talk about restoring the extended family today, I'm not talking, and to, by the way, today is just one solution. There are, many, there are many things that will help you with this challenge that I'm talking about, this influence deficit that you have. But one of the ways you can, you can mitigate this influence deficit is to bring people into your life that you honor and respect and people who walk with God to the best of their ability. They're flawed, of course, like all human beings are flawed. But bring them into your life and bring them a part of your, make them a part of your family. This is why a church is so important. Uh, and I, when you know, you say, well, what about the the extend biological relatives? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I'm not trying to force a connection with biological family that might be unwise, unsafe, or impossible. I, I still believe in it, though. We, and, and we have lost the extended family. We have lost the biological extended family, even among the best families. I have a wonderful family. The McCutcheon family are some of the finest people on the earth. But we have pretty much lost connection. We've pretty much lost connection with uncles, aunts. So I said it right, aunts. Uncles, aunts, uh, uh, cousins. We've pretty much lost connection. And that's a very deep, complicated subject. And I don't know totally the solution to that subject. But where you can fix it, fix it. Where you can fix it, fix it. You, your, your children are better off if it's safe. And if it's, uh, if it's wise, they're, they're, they're better off to know who their family is. You know, like the Bible, you notice the Bible always connects uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. The, uh, 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 he would talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's, so, so that's four generations. How many of you in this room know, I want to do a little survey, and I might be surprised, but I don't think I will be. How many of you in this room know who your great, 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 grandfather was their name great 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 three generations back one two three four people four people in the room see that that would be horrific to a jewish person in those biblical times what you don't know your great 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 grandfather (laughs) you don't know where we came from we've lost that see but god has given us an opportunity to restore that through the church of Jesus Christ. That's mostly what I'm going to talk about. I'm, I, I, please, I'm not ignoring the biological family. I believe it's really important. And if you're here today, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're visiting with your kids and they've started coming to this church and you're worried that they've joined a cult and they're going to steal you away from their, you, their, their biological family. There's, there's tension about that, you know. We're not trying to do that. We believe in you. And we, we, want, our fa- we want our families to connect with their biological families. But... I've only got about 20 minutes left, so I can only talk about your connection with the church. I'm going to preach longer than that, but that's all I have. (laughs) So we're going to turn the crisis into a challenge. Um, What are the things that keep us apart? I think what I want to address today more is a matter of the heart. 
What are the things that keep us apart? Time is a big one. We don't have much time. Our days are filled, especially if you, if you commute, if you an hour, hour and a half commute to work and back, you don't have much bandwidth left to go get together with another family in the church when you get home. That's a problem. The other thing is pride. You, you, we, all, we, we, all have, um, we all have secrets in our families. And that pride over those secrets, not wanting them exposed, will keep us apart from one another in true fellowship and humility. Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid for a million different reasons. Again, we're afraid because we have family secrets. Also, we have an, in, a, in the Western civilization, we have an extreme um, uh, uh, concern about privacy, extreme privacy, extreme privacy concerns. Also, we have closed concepts. One of the closed concepts is um, kids having an early bedtime is, is sacred. And it's hard to connect with other families if your kids have to be asleep every night by seven. I don't know how to solve that if, you, if you're not willing to, to, to deal with that. It was never a part of my life. I, w- I would have never gotten to know anybody if I'd have had to go to sleep at 7.30 every night. But my parents didn't care. And of course, I messed up, so you may not want to produce another person like me. But it was going to those meetings in the evenings and going to church and being a part of fellowships and going to revival meetings. And, and my, mother, my mother was, we, we were kind of, and I hope nobody from Texas, my old friends are watching today via the internet, but uh, uh, our, our church was, you, you ever watch, um, you ever watch, um, what, what's, what's was that uh, country uh, music sh- variety show? Um, I, I, hee-haw. hee-haw. You ever watch Hee-haw? Well, my home church was a little like Hee-haw. <laughs> we were country people, good old country people, you know. And uh, my pastor would actually plan the service from the platform. It would be like, Sister Rosie, you got a song for us? Come on up here, Rosie, and sing Satisfied. Satisfied, satisfied. So, it, it was great. I, I, I loved it, you know. And, uh, but my mother knew there was another world out there, so she would, she would t- tell my dad, we're going to go down to Oak Cliff, church. We're going to go to this meeting. We would go to the big church where they had an orchestra and where, they had, where, the, where the only culture wasn't agriculture. <laughs> she wanted us to be exposed to the larger world. So, well, if I'd have had to be asleep at 7.30, I couldn't have gone. She would say, well, so what? See, student, we don't care. We want you to follow Jesus. <laughs> and I, I'm for creating A students, but boy, We've made it an idol. We've made it an idol. The most important thing in my parents' life, the most important thing for Sherry and I, the most important thing in our lives was that our children follow Jesus. There was nothing that compared with that. So, um, I want us to look at renewing an ancient and helpful definition of family. America and parts of Europe are the only places in the world that define family merely as husband, wife, and children. And and I know now it's uh, often wife and children, you know, a lot of single families and we understand, single parents, we understand that. Uh, former missionary Randolph Richards shared this statement from an Asian man who became a committed Christian. He said, my father is wiser than I am. If he says Jesus is better, then I know Jesus is better. 
You never would hear that in the United States. Uh, but that, that's an Eastern concept. In, in the West, the concept of family continues to constrict, he says, so that it often now refers to only one parent and our children. In the East, by contrast, family is often identified solely based on bloodlines. Essentially, then, one's identity and duties were defined by one's family. Consider this response to people about Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, John, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Jesus was identified with his family. And then consider how they connected Christ to the patriarch Moses. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Our our great, 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 great grandfather Moses. We found the one he wrote about in the law about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, the way the Bible portrays the family, specifically the expectations and obligation placed on the family in these communal cultures challenges the way Westerners understand our identity and duties as the church, the family of God. Because even though the Westerners' definition of family is broader than ours, or the Easterners, I should have said, I said West, the Easterners is broader than ours, Jesus expanded it even more. For Jesus' family not included, not only included one's biological relatives, but included all who are together in the faith. Jesus did a lot of his teaching, this, this blew me away, Jesus did a lot of his teaching and ministry in people's homes. Did you realize that? Read the Gospels with new eyes and you will see that a lot of times when Jesus was teaching and ministering, he wasn't doing it down at the synagogue. He did very little teaching down at the synagogue. He did some teaching out in the open air, but he did a whole ton of ministry in people's houses. And we've made the house a place where we, we go home and we make sure the alligators are in the moat and we pull up the drawbridge and nobody's allowed to cross into our sacred space that ain't so sacred. Right? In Timothy, uh, no, no, I, I meant to say, oh, one day Jesus was ministering at home, and people, his, his parents came, and his mother came, and sisters. Hey, tell Jesus to get out here. <laughs> and Jesus said, looked at all the people in the house, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you view the other people in your, this room as your mother, your brother, your sisters? Are they just some folks that you come and look at the back of their head for an hour every Sunday morning while you get lectured on something? Are the people in this room your mother, your brother, your sisters? In 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul uses family language to describe how the church of Jesus Christ should function. Paul refers to certain men as his sons in the faith. Paul said we have many teachers but not many fathers. He goes on to give instructions regarding the relationship between church members in familial terms. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, Paul says, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Long, uh, Cynthia Long Westfield writes it in the New Testament, kingdom relationships are depicted as the believer's primary family. Paul goes on to say in Titus chapter 2 verse 4 the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home kind and to be subject to their husbands older men are to encourage the younger men to be self-controlled to do good and to show integrity and seriousness 
No wonder pastors are leaving the ministry in droves and having nervous breakdowns and all kinds of other dysfunctional stuff. Because in many congregations, the pastor is the only one that's viewed with father-like way of viewing them. The only one who's viewed as, as as a father in the gospel. And this, this, is, this is not healthy. This is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus prayed that his, fathers, his followers would recognize that they were eternally knit together and that their corporate testimony would win even more followers to the way. He said, he said in, in John chapter 17, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, Jesus prayed, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one, even as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The church taking on the character of a family is what will win the world to Jesus. I think of my childhood. One reason it was safe is because we were in a community where everybody was in everybody else's business. (laughs) The reason I could... The little town of McKinney, Texas, which is not a little town anymore, but it used to be the size of Milford. 16,000 people. And the reason I could leave the house after breakfast and not come home till dinner is because if I did anything wrong, some nosy woman was going to call my mother and tell her what I did. And my mother wasn't going to say, I believe my child. That wasn't going to happen. See, we've drawn this, like, remember the alligator moat illustration? Around our nuclear family, and nobody better not cross it. <laughs> we were in each other's business. That's why it was safe. We were in each other's business. I, it's, I, you know, I, of course, my mother had also had this revelation from God stuff going, man. She was, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> well, my, brother, my brother did all the bad stuff, and I was a good boy, you know. And it, one day he's down in the smart park smoking. <laughs> you know. God just tells my mother to go, go check on him. She goes down, his back is to her, and she sees smoke rising. <laughs> and by the way, for those of you who've watched the movie Benji, you ever watched the movie, the first movie Benji, it's old, it's been a long time, it was filmed in that park next to my house. That's just a little trivia for, for when you want to play trivia. Okay, renewing the art. I want to talk now about renewing the fine art of respect and honor. Honor your relatives because it's a holy obligation whether they deserve it or not. God gave you that father, that mother. God put those people in your life for a reason. I don't know the reason. I don't need to know. Honor them because that's who God put in your life. Honor them. And if if they deserve it, that's even better. And if they're good people and people you can trust, that's even better. But be respectful to all others, but selective in who you honor. Be respectful of everybody. I'm not devising treating, treating anybody with disrespect. And I'm not saying you only have to do or you only have people over that are just, just you hold in high esteem. I'm not saying that. But your kids will know. And I remember those people in my life that my parents held in high esteem. My dad would cook... Uh, uh, my dad was a cook, and he would cook a big Mexican meal. And I, I would get so excited as a little kid when my dad would cook a Mexican meal, and my mother and dad would tell me, well, you know, Pastor Rogers is coming over. 
Pastor Terry, Pastor Brother, we call it by brother or sister in those days. Brother, sister, go forth to come and over. Uh, bully, uh, you know, only in Texas do you have someone named Bully. Bully and Gladys are coming over. And Bully was a man, uh, Bully wasn't a spiritual giant. He was a good man. He was an honest man. He, he was a man who, who, who loved and believed in God. And uh, Bully and Gladys were guests in our home. And uh, I, I started playing guitar when I was a little boy. And uh, uh, so Bully played guitar. And I, started, I was playing the piano. I was playing guitar. And Bully took an interest in me. Later, later as I got older, he would uh, hire me to drive a gravel truck for him. And uh, he, was a, he was like a man's man, you know, kind of. His name was Bully, right? He looked like Bully. And, but, but Bully would invite me out to his house and, uh, as I started to drive, you know, and I would go out there and I would take my guitar and we would just peck and play for two or three hours. And we'd do that all the time. And, it, you know, sorry. <clears throat> the last time I saw Bully... We, we ate at a little cafe, and as I walked away, I saw tears in his eyes because he loved me, and I loved him. Your kids need those kind of relationships in the church. Your kids... I mean... I don't, Susan Pfeffer's not here, but boy, Susan helped Sherry and I raise our kids. Because our kids were safe to go tell Susan what we were doing that she didn't, they didn't like. And, and Susan had our back, but she also would listen, you know. God has given us this great gift, and we've bought into the American way of life instead of the kingdom way of life. We've bought into the American way of life. And some of it is very hard to overcome because we're so stinking busy. We have so much to do. And I don't know how to fix that for you. You're working 14 hours a day, two jobs, different directions. Very hard to do. But we've got to find a way. It's imperative. We've got to find a way to restore the extended family to our families. We're not supposed to be these lonely islands who know very almost nothing about each other, who, who have almost no information, who, who, don't, who don't, don't really speak into one another's lives, who aren't there for one another. And, and you know, the thing about it, Bethany Community Church, is, I, is what I know, we're, we're way ahead of a lot of churches that I know about in this regard, in this family field. But we need to turn our walk into a run. Be respectful of others, but selective with who you honor. I will not tolerate anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor. I will not permit conceit and pride. I will make the godly of the land my heroes and invite them into my home. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. Um, this is a very, this is a touchy subject, but you've got to be careful. You can't just glom on to everybody who comes along, even if they come go to your church with you. You've got to be discerning. 
and there's certain things you look for. People come over and they start gossiping out. Now, they don't have to kick them out at the moment, but you just mark them and say, That's, they're not going to be intimate friends of ours. We're not going to celebrate one another's birthdays with, those, with that person who talks bad about other people when they want to come into my house. People that don't respect the people that you respect do not deserve your fellowship. They don't deserve your intimate fellowship. Let me put it that way. Uh, finally, I would say this to you today. First of all, oh, let me stop. Let me back up a little bit. There's this idea that young people don't want um, older people influencing and speaking into their lives. But let me tell you something. Anytime society creates a shortage of something, it also creates a hunger for it. There is a hunger. There is a growing hunger. I see with young men and young women who want to hear from the generation before and then before that. And uh, uh, a while back I went to hear... uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, who, who I'm not recommending, he's not a theologian, so I'm not recommending you copy. Anytime I mention him, somebody says, you've got to be careful. But, no, don't copy his theology. He's a terrible theologian, but he's a good philosopher, and he's a good psychologist. And uh, he tells kids things like, go clean your rooms. You know, that's a big thing with Jordan Peterson. Go clean your rooms. And when you go, you, if you go to one of his lectures, it will be 50% youth. And here's a guy up there telling kids, take responsibility. Take responsibility. He's speaking the opposite message of the culture. And young people are flocking to hear him speak. I think there's a hunger. And I experience it. I experience it with the young people that I get to hang out with every day. I do not experience this huge disrespect. Now, technology, they don't respect me. They're very disrespectful when we start talking technology. But whenever I want to talk to them about something serious... They always listen. They always listen and they're always respectful. And they're, 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 they're crying out for your leadership. You've got to quit believing everything that you're reading in social media. Stop believing all of the lies. They are crying out for your wisdom and they're crying out for your example. And even if they are not, you still need to step up. Finally, evaluate your relationships and go as far as God will take you. Some of you here today have never invited a Christian whose life and testimony you admire into your home to share a meal, watch a game, or go with you to an event. Why is that? It's not easy, I know. And I'm more concerned with your heart today. I'm going to call you up for prayer in a minute. And what I'm going to pray for you is not for your actions. You know, like that first week we talked about God talk. That's something, that's an action thing. You didn't need a big change of attitudes. Everybody wanted to do that, so great. And a lot of you have done it. I've heard some feedback. You're doing it. You're having God talk with your kids. You're creating God moments with your children. This one is deeper, and it requires a change of heart. I'm more concerned today with, if I want to result in a takeaway from this sermon, I want a change of heart or, or, or an increase. In, I want you to have a heart for this because, because I don't know exactly how it's supposed to work for every one of you. Life is very complicated, and you're busy, and all of that, and, and, and forming relationships doesn't happen overnight. 
I just simply want you to say, Pastor, or God, look to God and say, God, I will accept your heart on the matter of relationships. I will accept your heart. I don't know how we'll live it out. I, I don't know how to form relationships with people. I, I'm really not very good at it. Uh, but I will, I, will, I will listen to you. I will, I will yield my heart to you. Um, so you're missing an opportunity when you don't to discover the faith heroes. You're, you're denying potential faith heroes from discovering their purpose. A lot of single Christians do not have marriage in their future, but they have gifts and they have wisdom that would be utilized if you incorporated them into your lives. People who are really strong in character and spiritual power aren't being properly utilized by our families and our churches because we're not connecting with them properly. All, let me say this, all spiritual gifts cannot be expressed in a church program. I said all spiritual gifts cannot be expressed. Well, I take my kid to this program. and We're running our kids from program to program because we've become programmatic in how we think things are supposed to be accomplished. You know, uh, we've all heard there's an app for that. Well, what pastors hear is, uh, Pastor, do we have a program for that? There's not supposed to be a program for everything. Some churches we over-programmatize. We fill our schedules too full. We, we, we try to make a program for everything. We just need people to be related. If people get related properly to one another, they will, they will teach one another and they will share with one another and they will mentor one another and they will lead one another and they will, they will if they're gospel-saturated people, they will emanate the gospel in the way they live and in their examples and they'll be way more effective than another program. Programs are good, by the way. I'm not against them. We have a lot of them around here. Okay, let me conclude. Start with your heart, not your actions. It's like, think of a pilot flying a plane. He sets the attitude, I mean, not just altitude, but attitude. He sets the attitude of the plane because in the sky there's no tracks and there's no highways. So he sets the attitude in the general direction of his destiny and then as he gets close to his destiny he's able to fine tune the attitude so he lands the plane where he wants to land it some of you saw that horrible video this week of that plane that vintage fighter jet that flew into the top of a b1 bomber in dallas at an inner show because he had his attitude his problem started miles away when he set his attitude of his plane in the wrong direction and he ended up where he didn't want to be and six people died. Today, I'm going to ask you to set your attitude. Open up your heart. Relationships take time to develop. Attitude means you see things different. So I'm asking you to let God cause you to see things different. I'm asking you to surrender to God's view of the relationships between you and those who could be included in your lives. My eyes will be, my eyes will be on the faithful of the land. Will, will you pray with me that our eyes will become sensitive to the faithful in the land around us. Now every one of you today, I'm going to invite you forward, every one of you who, and I'm not going to differentiate who comes, you come, if you, you may be, uh, live all by yourself, but you, you, you represent a family in some way, and you want to get, be a part of this. I want everyone who says to me, will say to me, Pastor, I want to, I want to yield my heart 
to God's plan for extended family in my life. And I want to let him lead. I want you to stand up and I want you to come and stand with me. And I want to lead you in a special prayer. Sherry, I know you're, you're, you're a little crippled, but I would really like for you to close this in prayer. You don't have to come on the stage, but if somebody give her a mic over here, I won't. I, uh, Sherry has such a heart for family. And, and I, I didn't have the vision that she had well, years ago. I didn't understand it. And I wish I had it. I wish I'd have understood what she saw in terms of family. But, but uh, uh, her, her vision of family, I, 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 have, um, I have yielded to it all through the years. And I've, I've, I've followed her lead. But she had the vision. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But when I'm done leading in that prayer, I want Sherry to pray over us. And I want to sanctify this moment. I want to sanctify this moment as being, you know how you have a marriage ceremony? Well, I want to have a, um, I want to have a family ceremony. When we agree to be the family of God. We agree to be the family of God. And I know, you know maybe some of you have some baggage with that. You, you, have, you have resentment toward people that you know they're good people, but they just rubbed you the wrong way. They're in this church, and they're good people, but they rubbed you the wrong way, so you're done with them. I want, I want to ask you to drop that. I want to ask you to forgive them. I want to ask you to let it go. And I ask you to say, no, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. That's, my spirit, that's one of my spiritual mothers. I'm not going to do that any more than I would disavow my, my biological family. I'm not going to disavow them any more than I would... You, you, every one of you know that your biological family has problems, right? My, don't, don't ask my children about my problems, okay? I'm not ready to be that transparent. <laughs> no, but you don't, normal people, you don't just, uh, not, not go, go see my parents anymore. My mother said something the other day. I'm done with her. No, you don't do that. You hang in there through all kinds of stuff. Well, you're supposed to do that with your church family too. Your spiritual family, you're supposed to have the same, God wants us to have the same commitment to our spiritual family that he's called us to have with our biological family. So I know you're ready for you. You, you know, you're good. You're good folks. Sometimes I talk to you like you're not, and I'm sorry, but because I know you are. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're so good, because I talk to you like you're not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave in prayer, Sherry, and then you're going to pray. This, I want to put this prayer up on the wall so you can, leave, keep, you can watch and pray instead of close your eyes and pray. Oh, Father in heaven, pray, pray with me, please. Oh, Father in heaven, from whom every family on earth derives its name, I praise you that you have not assigned us a life of isolation from others. Although we often, out of busyness, fear, resentment, and ignorance, choose to separate from one another. God, open our eyes to see the treasure that sits around us, and we pass as we go in and out of the church on Sunday. May we begin to look on the brothers and sisters related to us with the very blood of Jesus, with honor and a longing to see what of Jesus they uniquely possess. Deliver us from callousness toward our unclaimed family members. Deliver us from pettiness where minor and imagined offenses have soured us. Deliver us from busyness, the devil's disguise for wrong priorities. 
Deliver us from selfishness that blocks the flow of giving and receiving. Deliver us from religiosity that makes church attendance a duty we fulfill instead of the weekly family reunion it was intended to represent. Forgive us for being nitpicky about how communion is observed while we're sloppy about the communion of the saints that the holy observation represents. Transform us from mere individuals and make us the living manifestation of the very body of Christ as we yield to the responsibility of being your family in the earth. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, help us to do it. Sherry, would you pray for us? intimately aware of our own sins and our own failures and how much we need your grace how much we need to be surrounded by your forgiveness and love and we seek today to establish a foundation of grace in how we speak how we think of how we relate to one another and today we Commit to make grace the pillow upon which we rest as we engage with one another. I pray that we will not allow grace to make us sloppy in our expectation of following the mandates you have for how your plan for success is to happen. Cause us to use the recipe and to pass down the recipe from one generation to the next. Cause us to treasure what produces your idea of success in a church family and in a, in a, a family that exists in a house somewhere, in an apartment somewhere. Cause us to be people that love your word and place it above all else. That will cause us to be incapable of harboring resentments, uh, incapable of being people that feed um, the things within us that are natural, that come up because we're people but we will instead feed a culture of grace, a culture of friendship, and a culture that assumes one another's highest good. Make us be people that are not afraid to be wrong. That being wrong is an okay thing in our community that we can confess our sins one to another because when we confess our sins you're faithful and just to forgive us I pray for every parent in this room that they would wisely choose people to bring into their homes that they will encourage their children to love and honor and respect and I pray that we would learn to shoulder one another's burdens, and fulfill the law of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Give somebody a hug, please. Call them brother, sister. <laughs>